Hi, welcome to the StoryWorth podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Krista Baum, co-founder of StoryWorth. On this podcast, we feature true stories written by StoryWorth writers. If you're new to StoryWorth, we help people write their life stories, the big stories and the small ones. Once a week, we send our writers a question to help inspire their writing. They reply to the email with an answer or a story that comes to mind. At the end of the year, we print what they've written into a beautiful keepsake book. Every story written using StoryWorth is private. But for this podcast, the writers volunteer to share their stories publicly with you. If you've been in a relationship with someone for a long time, whether that's romantic, platonic, familial, you've surely encountered this issue before, hearing their stories over and over and over again. Today's story is about one couple's strategy to avoid boring their audience with unneeded details and sloppy plot arcs, whether the audience is at a dinner party or friends or simply just each other sitting at the kitchen table. Donna Guthrie, today's author, is here along with her husband, to share how they came up with a perfect tag team storytelling strategy. But before we talk to them, we're going to hear Donna's story as read by voice actress Emma Yaniger, as Donna shares her mission to spin her husband's lackluster storytelling approach into gold. 45 years into a good marriage, something crept into our relationship that led to public arguments and silent car rides home. It wasn't as dramatic as a secret gambling habit exposed, nor was it easy to articulate like a partner's incessant soup slurping while dining out. Similar to many longtime married couples, we had what I call a storytelling problem. When Mike and I were dating and getting to know each other, our stories were captivating. I still smile when he shares the story about his first experience getting drunk, stealing the pastor's truck, and crashing it into a row of tombstones. He made it sound like a joyride with Frog and Toad. My new man sounded fun-loving and adventurous, and like a bit of a bad boy. I was smitten. Now fast forward nearly half a century, and you bet we can recite each other's stories word for word, finishing the other sentences and piping in with forgotten details. We have the same children, the same friends, and 45 years of the same life experiences. And there lies our problem. At this point, we're supporting characters in the same exact stories. When I'm narrating a recent anecdote about my 80-year-old friend who just entered the world of online dating, I like to set up the story with a little background. I mention the man's 60-year marriage, his devotion to his late wife, and the fact that she battled dementia. But my husband can't be bothered with these details, and at this point in my storytelling, he always interrupts to rush me to the funny part— which is, in his opinion, the part where my friend reveals a laundry list of qualities he requires for an ideal match. According to my friend, his love interest can't smoke or drink and shouldn't be overweight. She can't take any medications or use a walker or have a tattoo. But most importantly, she has to be an engaged passenger. She can't crochet, sleep, or read while he's driving. My husband finds it hysterically funny that our friend would disqualify an 80-year-old prospective date based on an old tattoo or her tendency to doze off in the car. 
Get to the punchline, he coaches me. Give the background information in one sentence, as in, my 80-year-old friend has started dating again. I'll confess, I interrupt too, but for good reason. Sometimes my hubby just doesn't accurately gauge a person's interest in the story he's so invested in telling. For instance, my husband has a lot to say about the current state of healthcare in this country. But when his opinions last through drinks and then appetizers, I feel for our companions. It's up to me to interrupt and mercifully change the subject. And if his story still manages to persist like the little engine that could right into the main course, well, I'm simply left with no other option than an under-the-table kick to his bad knee. The use of numbers in our storytelling also causes conflict. See, when I tell a story that involves numbers, I like to round up as a general rule. When he tells a story, it's like he's balancing the checkbook. <laughs> if I say our wait in the airport was three hours, he interrupts my story just to point out we actually waited two hours and ten minutes. Is this a male thing? Does anyone really care about an extra 50 minutes? But we do agree on some ground rules. Mike and I made a commitment to each other not to be those old people who tell long, graphic stories about their health and the details of recent operations. It's best to share our health sagas with fellow survivors. And even those stories should have a time limit. We also came to the mutual realization that repetition is a problem for us. Over the years, we've listened to one another repeat the exact same story in the exact same manner to the exact same people. Yikes. I don't mind hearing my husband's stories 10 times because I love him. And the first five times, I even love the story. But it's different for our friends. So, for the sake of better storytelling, we devised a series of covert hand motions, much like a catcher or a third base coach might exchange. The subtle tapping of his right index finger is code that my anecdote is getting too bogged down in the details. Or when I gingerly tug my left ear, he catches the signal that his story has gone on too long and needs to wrap up. This new focus on how we tell stories has actually made us better listeners. We take mental notes of storytellers who have a strong sense of timing, story arc, and audience attention. There's really an art to it, after all. Recently, we're testing out a new strategy, telling our stories together by taking turns. When I detail our family's disastrous bike ride across Wisconsin, I pause at just the right point in the story and ask my husband to jump in. He clarifies the precise number of cyclists involved and the total miles we traveled. And if it's one of his stories, I'm invited to set up the story and summarize the long parts, and he gets the glory of revealing the punchline. Now, our car rides home are happier without the tense silence. We've replaced public arguments with private feedback because stories, especially the good ones, require practice. Last night at a friend's house, my husband told the one about our wedding reception when too many glasses of champagne led to a midnight swim in the hotel pool by my fully clothed, tea-drinking Methodist family. He nailed it. No ear-tugging necessary. His 40-year-old story was fresh and new again with just the right amount of details. And my family's late-night adventure sounded funny and madcap, just like Frog and Toad. And once again, I was smitten. After reading this story, I was really excited to chat with Donna, our author, and her husband, Mike. Here's a bit of our conversation 
As you'll see, they're extremely charming. Tell me a little bit about how you met and your love story. We had friends in common and they were married. They kept calling us, pestering us a bit, independently, obviously. Uh, you ought to meet this girl, you ought to meet this guy, go back and forth. Finally, Donna got fed up with it and called me. And uh, very, independent. Very, yeah, very independent woman, she always has been, and said, let's get this out of the way. Uh, let's have coffee and uh, it should be fun. So I said, uh, why don't we meet on Saturday? I think it was a Saturday. And we met about 10 o'clock in the morning. And we were still there at about 7 or 8 o'clock at night. No way! Uh, <laughs> still talking to each other. Uh, we've been talking to each other ever since. That's <laughs> awesome. Although we were just talking this morning about mumbling things out loud to each other across the desk. We share an office. And so we're mumbling things back and forth to each other. And it's getting worse as we get older. So let me just add one thing. We met at the end of October. He proposed in February. We got married in June. No. My parents never met. My parents never didn't meet him until we were the oh, wedding. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You guys are couples goals. I love this. Okay. So who came up with the baseball signal solution? <laughs> I Donna? I did. I did. I, I don't know if you just heard how he told you that story, but that there was a lot. He's gotten much better at telling that story. <laughs> I have had to learn over time, to really. And it's been a learning experience. I mean, I really appreciate some of the insights he said about stuff because uh, it's really helpful. I've had to learn how to, how to accommodate to her professionalism about telling some of these stories. A story is a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. <laughs> this is 50 years. We're still working on this. <laughs> I know, but you look like you're still having so much fun. No, we yeah. don't take it too seriously. <laughs> and, but I do think the important message is that I, I really have learned a lot from her. I, I just, it, and it's not just because she confronts me all the time, but it's it's been an experience. Did you guys try anything before the baseball signals that didn't work? Yelling at each other after the <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> That didn't work. That didn't work. <laughs> right. You know, you, you're driving home from a party and say, I wish you wouldn't interrupt me when, you, when I'm telling the story because people don't care, they care whether it's 4.4 miles or 4.9 miles. For 30 or 40 years. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. And, you know, we used to get angry over it. Well, angry. Donna got very angry. I got I didn't care. I was doing it. We had to come up with something that was in the moment because after the fact was so depressing, you couldn't yeah. do anything about it. She was pissed off and I couldn't do anything about it. So I wanted to get closer to, well, stop me, you know, give me a sign. I would actually love to hear the frog and toad story and the drunk Methodist in the swimming pool if you're up for telling them. <laughs> well, uh, this, is, this is the one where you... Oh God! This, <laughs> this is this is first of all, it's talking about things which are against the law. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly don't have to. You're 76. I, I don't think we're going to arrest you right. for it now. Go ahead. <laughs> My first job was in the graveyard. I was a gravedigger as a kid, young boy. You know, because that's about all I could do at the time that was relevant. We did a lot of gardening and stuff around the cemetery. And we worked for this real character who was kind of a, a, a very mole-like guy. But at one point, he decided, there was the two of us who were boys who worked for him. And he decided at one point he was going to get us beer. So one afternoon, we got intoxicated. 
And uh, we decided we were going to use the Sexton's truck for a drive. Neither one of us were 16. So just so you know. <laughs> so we took the truck, we took it out. And the, the cemetery is a vast area stuck into a park. The back end of it was all wild. But there was a forest service road that ran through it. And we got on that forest service road going too fast. Sure enough, we come around this corner, all leaves from the fall on the ground. The tires were bald, of course. And so off we go and bang into a tree. Oh, no. And um, that was a shock. My father, bless his heart, was really mad at me. So all the money I had made went to pay the second for a new truck. Oh, no. We met and married very quickly. We just phoned it in. We just said, you know, invite your friends and, I don't know, get the place and we'll show up that weekend. And my parents were strong Methodists and not drinkers, but we knew that we were going to have alcohol at the way. Dad didn't know how much to buy. So there were 99, I don't know, let's say there were 85 people coming. So he bought 85 bottles of champagne. Not good champagne, just champagne. So a bottle of champagne for everybody. So we get married on a Friday night, go to a reception. People are drinking champagne. We're at a a kind of a Hilton hotel in Washington, Pennsylvania. And Mike and I say goodnight and go to bed. My brothers and sisters continue to drink the champagne (laughs) all around them. And then they decide that they're going to go swimming. Of course, the swimming pool is closed. So they climb over, jump in with their clothes on. And of course, the police are called. I mean, you no, they're, they're, you know, the fire department. No, I don't remember the fire department. <laughs> the police were called. So how did you get started with StoryWorth? Did one of your kids give it to you or what's the... Our daughter Carly gave it to both of us the same year. But we had heard about it from a friend who had done it and gotten so much out of it. You know, getting the story once a week, it's so doable. I mean, if somebody said, write your life story, I, everyone is overwhelmed by the idea. You know, one question a week is doable. It's just plain old fashioned doable. And so we, we knew a friend who had done it and gotten so much out of it and was and made books for all of his kids. And it was very, very meaningful. Have you solved any other issues that have popped up in your marriage with creative solutions? Hmm. I'm asking for advice in case it comes up <laughs> in the course of my marriage. <laughs> yeah, finally, it's pretty broad. <laughs> I'm sure we have. I feel like this could become like a a relationship self-help podcast. (laughs) I think for us, I mean, I'll speak for myself, but humor has been awfully important for us in terms of mitigating things. I've heard a lot of people say that it's really helpful to take things a little lightly and yourself not too seriously. Mm -hmm. I think plain old fashioned courtesy with with a longtime mate, thank you, or please. I know that sounds silly, but you know, Mike happens to be a great cook. I tell him that. You know, this was great, and thank you for doing it. I don't want me to stop. <laughs> no, I do not want you to stop. <laughs> I think if, if couples were just a little bit kinder and a little bit more courteous to one another, instead of just immediately going for the yell and the, and you all, know, the negative. all the negative stuff, I please and thank you go a long way in a relationship. But I mean, people talk about gratitude as being an important mm-hmm. aspect of life. And I think as we've gotten older, we're a lot more consciously grateful. I think sense of humor is very important in relationship. I think it gets you through a lot of tense situations where a lighthearted, and, and it's based on self-deprecating humor. I think it's, this, a lot of this stuff is just temporary and it's nonsense. And the, the, Important stuff is the long-term relationship, not the short-term wins. It's very helpful 
and not taking yourself too seriously. I think that's really sort of at the core of it. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to get started writing your life stories or want to give the gift of StoryWorth to a loved one, head over to StoryWorth.com. And if you'd like one of your StoryWorth chapters to be considered for the podcast, go to StoryWorth.com slash podcast. In our next episode... I guess you could call me a serial troublemaker. If causing trouble is defined by actually getting caught, the nuns could be brutal. One man's experience as an old school prankster trapped in the confines of Catholic school. StoryWorth is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Krista Baum, and produced by Hannah Ray Leach. We get production help from Jill Granberg, and our mix engineer is Sean Rule Hoffman. We'll see you next time. <laughs>